Coming up this evening live from New York City, FedEx stock suffers its worst day ever after cutting its sales forecast. And the CEO warns of slowing global economy. And Germany takes control of a Russian energy firm's subsidiaries amid the energy crisis. We ask an analyst why this is a big deal. And a U.S. Space Force general says China wants the ability to destroy American satellites. How big of a threat is China? That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Don Ma here for NTD Business. FedEx stock fell over 20% today. It's worst day ever. It comes after the company's CEO sounded the alarm about its future profits and the overall economy. In an interview with CNBC last night, the CEO was asked if he thinks the world will enter an economic recession. Raj, are we going to a worldwide recession? Well, I'm not an economist, but, you know... Oh, I'll, you know more than economists. Come on. They, don't, they just push papers. You actually look at papers. Well, I, I, I think so. I, I, you think I, we are going I, to a recession? I, 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 I think so. But, you know, again, these, uh, these numbers don't portend very well. The CEO says U.S. consumers are spending less, hurting its delivery demand. And weakened economy in Asia and Europe has also hurt FedEx's express delivery business. Overall, the company says a slowing economy will cause it to fall half a billion dollars short of its revenue target. And it looks like the global freight industry is also slowing down on a weakened, weakening economy. In the past six months, global container freight rates have dropped by half. That's according to the Freitos Baltic Index, which tracks global freight rates. Usually the third quarter of every year is the peak season for freight. But this year, it's seen a downshift due to inflation, weakened economic outlooks, and shrunken demand. And imports to America's largest port, the port of L.A., dropped nearly 17% in August compared to the month before. The port said there were multiple reasons, like orders out of Asia being canceled and U.S. imports shifting away from the West Coast, though the drop in L.A. doesn't seem to be a nationwide trend. According to data from Descartes, U.S. imports actually remained basically flat in August. And it's not just a slowing economy that businesses are worrying about. The CEO of McDonald's says Chicago's high crime rate and the state's poor business climate hurts recruiting and business. McDonald's headquarters is in Chicago. The CEO warns that the city is in, quote, crisis. Uh, certainly we have uh, violent crime that's happening in our restaurants. Uh, it's happening with homelessness, where we're seeing homelessness issues in our restaurants. Uh, we're having drug overdoses that are happening in our restaurants. So we see in our restaurants every single day what's happening in, in society at large. It has become increasingly difficult to operate a global business out of the city of Chicago and the state of Illinois. According to the Nonpartisan Tax Foundation, Illinois now ranks 36th out of 50 states for favorable business tax climate. This year, Chicago's crime rate is up 38%. Actually, it's been increasing for the last few years. As for the business climate, the Tax Foundation says Illinois ranks 48 on property tax and 42 on corporate tax. And Wall Street's major indexes closed lower today. The Dow fell 139 points, or nearly half a percent. S&P dropped 28 points, or seven-tenths of a percent. The Nasdaq lost 104 points, or nine-tenths of a percent.
Amid its long-standing dependence on Russian fuel, Germany has seized the local subsidiary of Russian oil giant Rosneft. NTD's Sean Marshall has more. The energy crisis in Germany has become so severe, they've had to take control of a Russian-owned refinery. The expropriation is being termed a trusteeship. The developed world generally doesn't do it. You're seizing assets of companies. It's, it is a big, big deal. The German subsidiary of Russian oil giant Rosneft was placed under trusteeship on Friday, giving Germany's federal regulator control of the PCK refinery in Schwedt, a key source of fuel for the city of Berlin. I asked oil analyst Tom McNulty why Germany had to do this. They tried to find other solutions using other companies to temporarily take over. I think Shell was in the discussions. There was an attempt to get the Polish, one of the Polish energy companies to do it, but it was a very, very significant escalation in kind of this energy conflict in Europe. The German chancellor said this action was necessary. Today's decision ensures that Germany will be supplied with oil in the middle and long term. And this is especially true for the Schwett refinery, the PCK refinery Schwett. We did not take this decision lightly, but it was unavoidable. What's important is that Schwett as a company location will be secured. And this is something I especially want the workers and their families in Schwett to know, as well as the town and the region. Asked McNulty what Germany needs to do. Other than the way to stabilize the energy situation in Europe is to ultimately have diversification of supply from other areas, including North America, to make them far less vulnerable to what's happening. But that can't be done quickly. It's going to take a while. Germany said this week it would step up lending to energy firms at risk of being crushed by soaring gas prices after Russia cut supplies to Europe in retaliation for Western sanctions. Sean Marshall, NTD News. Meanwhile, over in Lebanon, people are going to desperate lengths just to withdraw money. Lebanese banks have locked most customers out of their accounts as the country grapples with a financial crisis. About three-quarters of the population have slipped into poverty, one resident blames the government. The whole people comes on. Why we are sleeping till now? Why we are? They broke the country. They broke the people. What do we have? This is not a country. Earlier this week, a woman doused herself in gasoline and threatened to set herself on fire if she wasn't allowed access to her own money. She stormed the bank in Beirut Wednesday along with other people furious that their accounts were frozen. The group also took hostages. This was the second hostage situation in Lebanese banks over the same issue since last month. Though in the end, the woman was able to withdraw $20,000 from her bank account. She says she needed it to pay for her sister's cancer treatment. And China today announced sanctions against the CEOs of Raytheon and Boeing Defense over a major U.S. arms sale to Taiwan. The U.S. announced a $1 billion arms sale to Taiwan last week. The purchase includes Boeing's Harpoon missiles and Raytheon's Sidewinder missiles. China claims Taiwan as its own territory. The U.S. does not formally recognize Taiwan under Beijing's One China policy. Though the U.S. is Taiwan's main supplier of military equipment, the U.S. is also bound by its own laws to ensure Taiwan can defend itself. 
Now we go to China and take a look at the heavy toll its zero-COVID policy has had on the country's people. A grieving father mourns the loss of his one-year-old child. He says the baby could have survived were it not for China's strict lockdown orders. NTD's Julia Song has more on what happened. A father is seeking justice for his one-year-old son. The child died after failing to get emergency care under Chinese authorities' strict COVID-19 lockdown orders. The father is from Xinjiang, a region in northwestern China. His city has been put under lockdown for over a month because of local virus cases. Under those orders, residents are banned from leaving their homes. But one day last month, he found his son was falling ill. He called the emergency hotline. I was told no local hospital will accept patients right now, and the staffer asked me to contact the hospital by myself. The father called all local hospitals, but none of them were taking patients because of lockdown orders. At the time, my son was really in critical condition, so I rushed into a car in our local community with my son in my arms. But he died on the way to the hospital, and the hospital didn't even allow us in without a negative test for COVID-19. I tried to force my way into the hospital. But it was too late. Doctors told the father the child could have survived if they had arrived 10 minutes earlier. Following the baby's death, the father couldn't even find a place to temporarily store his son's body. Hospitals told him they didn't have morgues open. Funeral homes said they were under quarantine. The desperate father had to take his son directly to a crematorium. I was only allowed to see my son one last time after begging staffers at the crematorium. My son had medical gauze around his head. His eyes and mouth weren't completely shut. The crematorium told him they didn't even gather the ashes of the child because he was too small. The heartbroken father posted the story on social media. But in less than three minutes, local authorities told him to remove his post. The father is now calling for an investigation into those could be held responsible for his son's death. Juliet Song, NTD News. And now turning to China and space. U.S. Space Force Lieutenant General B. Chance Saltman says that China is the U.S.'s biggest threat in the space sector. He's a nominee to lead Space Force. In a hearing, he said, quote, the Chinese are aggressively pursuing capabilities that can disrupt, degrade, and ultimately even destroy our satellite capabilities and disrupt our ground infrastructure. Saltzman said it would be a priority for him to ensure Space Force is able to counter strategic competitors. Because, he says, adversaries are aggressively trying to dominate space and putting U.S. interests at risk. If if confirmed, Saltzman will serve as the second chief of space operations. And here to talk more about the U.S.-China space race is Arthur Herman. He's the director of the Quantum Alliance Initiative at the Hudson Institute. Arthur, thanks for coming on today. So let me ask you, Space Force nominee B. Chance Saltzman recently said the Chinese are pursuing capabilities that can destroy U.S. satellites and disrupt ground infrastructure. And I think this kind of relates to your space race article on the Wall Street Journal. So I want to ask you what Saltzman says, how big of a concern is it? Tell us more about it. Well, it's a serious concern, and the Chinese have been working on this at least since the early 2000s. 
And in fact, they demonstrated, did a proof of demonstration back in January of 2007, in which they actually were able to execute uh, an anti-satellite uh, tool, a, a kill vehicle to blow up a satellite, thus demonstrating that it can be done and that they had the capability. That was in 2007. We are now 15 years along, and uh, General Saltzman, it seems, is just bringing this news to the public that this is a serious concern, a serious worry. Look, think about what can be done if you have anti-satellite capabilities uh, and you're able to put uh, uh, anti-satellite kill vehicles into into the uh, and launch them and knock out, let's say, GPS. I mean, think about the, the long-term and short-term chaos that that would create, uh, not just for all of us, you know, who depend now today on GPS for navigation and for tracking, but also for our military uh, as well, because so much of what they do relies upon proper targeting, relies on proper positioning vis-a-vis uh, -vis other forces, uh, and all this is enabled via satellite. So an attack on GPS would have a devastating uh, impact in the case of a conflict, let's say, over Taiwan, of basically crippling the United States' ability uh, to deal effectively with a Chinese threat uh, against, against Taiwan. Uh, and I think what the point I was stressing in my Wall Street Journal piece on, on winning the new space race is, is that in the 21st century, who controls space? controls everything. I mean, not just telecommunications, not just navigation, but you basically have the ability then to uh, direct what, and coordinate what happens at sea, on land. Uh, our economic assets more and more depend on their ability to interface with uh, satellite technology and space technology. You know, Arthur, we talk about China overtaking the U.S. as the dominant power in space. But how likely is that, would you say, do you think that would happen, let's say, sometime in the next 10 years? I think it's an alarming prospect. And, and this is not just my conclusion, based on watching how China's developments in areas like anti-satellite warfare since 2007. I've been tracking what they've been doing, and it's, it's, a, it's a scary proposition. But it's also the conclusion of the most recent report, the State of the Space Industrial Base in America, a uh, report done by Space Force, by uh, the Defense Innovation Unit, and also the Air Force Research Lab, in which the 350 participants in that discussion, in preparing that report, concluded for the very first time that China could overtake the United States as the dominant player in the space domain by, by 2032. That's in 10 years. And that's not just a, a, a indication of how fast China is moving and learning how to become a major space player in terms of space, in terms of launches, satellites, anti-satellites, um, uh, turning lunar exploration in, uh, into a means by which to secure control and prevent access to space for others. It's also, it's also is an indication that we're just not doing what we need to be doing here. We're standing still and they're moving fast. That's how they're gonna beat us. Right, right. And let me just ask you one last thing. You bring up a, a very practical concern. If China becomes the dominant power in space, would they 
Would they be able to read our, for example, our everyday text? Would, would it go to that extent? <laughs> they may be already be able to do that with TikTok. So, I mean, they're already, they're already achieving that at a terrestrial level without having to go to space in order to do that. But yes, I mean, the ways in which, the ways in which more and more telecommunication will, will depend upon space link in order to achieve that gives you an idea about just what would happen if China becomes the, the arbiter, right, and is able to decide what you can watch and what you can't, what kinds of text messages you're able, or, or, or videos you're able to send or watch. Um, you know, this war in Ukraine has demonstrated very much how important and how vital space and space technology is going to be. The role that Starlink has played, for example, in helping to keep the internet open for the Ukrainian people and for Ukrainian military gives you some idea about just how, what a crucial high ground this is going to be for our military, for our intelligence services, for our own everyday lives. And so the question is, who's gonna, who's gonna, be, who's gonna enforce the rules? Who's gonna create the rules? That's what the future of space is really all about. And I wrote this up op-ed for the Wall Street Journal so I could make people aware of just how big the stakes are in deciding who wins this new space race with China. All right. Thank you very much, Arthur Herman, director of the Quantum Alliance Initiative at Hudson Institute. Pleasure speaking to you today. A pleasure. It's been all mine. And our in-depth story today... Biopharmaceuticals firm Intellia Therapeutics says its new gene editing treatment drug is showing progress. One of the purposes of gene editing is to change your DNA to cure the disorders that you have. If the treatment continues to show success, the gene editing drug could become available to the public. The treatment is currently codenamed NTLA-2002. It's aimed at curing a disorder in which fluids accumulate outside your blood vessels, causing swelling attacks and can even weaken or kill you. The medical name is hereditary angioedema. In the study, three patients had a dose of the gene editing drug in liquid form injected into their bodies, and they experienced 91% fewer swelling attacks. So, seems like the drug did have an impact. The drug is based on CRISPR technology. This technology is used to edit your DNA. Scientists use CRISPR for their research. Some people even eat crispr food, and many believe it'll radically transform life in general. The scientists who discovered CRISPR are American biochemist Jennifer Doudna and French microbiologist Emmanuel Charpentier. They even won a Nobel Peace Prize in chemistry. Using CRISPR to edit DNA is actually pretty new. Intellia's CEO says this is only the second time in history that CRISPR-based therapy has shown it can edit cells to potentially treat genetic diseases. But there's still very much that we as human beings don't know about the human body. While many pharmaceutical companies have embraced gene editing technology, such as COVID-19 vaccines, others are concerned about the potential consequences. Columbia University researchers found out back in 2020, to much their surprise, that CRISPR removed an entire chromosome from the DNA of multiple human embryos. They only wanted to fix a mutation, but accidentally deleted the entire chromosome carrying that mutation. 
The lead researcher called it a profound change that likely dooms the embryos. He also says that more extensive testing may lead to more discoveries. Of course, that's only one out of the many negative examples of gene editing. And also because it's an early technology, there's really no way to know what it will do to future generations. But still, the new technology has led to an abundance of CRISPR-based startups. As you can see here, the list is very long. Researchers expect the gene editing market to grow 53% annually and hit $59.4 billion by 2027. And investors are certainly excited. The biggest CRISPR firms mar have market caps in the billions. Intelia currently has the second largest market cap among them. And still to come after the break, if your company is struggling to find workers, stay tuned for some unusual tips. And North American International Auto Show is underway in Detroit. This year, the show features an electric muscle car and the world's first flying bike. You don't want to miss it. Then much more coming up on NTD Business. Welcome back. Many businesses are struggling to find workers amid the ongoing labor shortage. So how can companies get creative in finding the talent they need? Experts have a few tips and here's our story. We're using Instagram, we're using TikTok. We're using Nicole Walter, CEO of HM Manufacturing, recruits from unconventional places to compete for labor. But we're trying to bridge the gaps with local high schools that have manufacturing programs. So they'll come to us for internships. Maybe it's a six, eight, 12 week program, depending on what they're looking to do. Chris Zarnick, the author of the book, Winning the War for Talent, says recruiting needs to go beyond active job seekers. Great candidates could be passive job seekers who work in jobs without using their strengths or are stuck in small or flat organizations. And so those types of people are the people that we actively go out and recruit through LinkedIn or LinkedIn Recruiter, or we, we try to find the kind of problems we have to solve and then find people whose lives and careers have been leading up to solving those problems. Sarnik says HR needs to become sales, selling jobs like selling products to customers. Creating a job ad with a persona will make it stand out. Describe the problems you want them to solve and then people can see themselves in the job ad. And even if they're looking to change jobs or industries again, they will, they will apply for those jobs. Employees are company's best salespeople. Give employees opportunities to showcase the company culture. We find little trendy things that are happening and whether it's a dance or something else and they really get like a fun enjoyment out of that. I have a lot of guys requesting, hey, is, is it my turn yet to be on the TikTok? So it's, it's pretty fun. Most companies reward employees for successful referral hires, but Sarnik advises companies to reward employees for the act of referrals, not outcomes. The reward could be a nice dinner for the employee and their significant other. They would talk about the dinner and the company with their friends. That creates buzz for the company. Reporting by Angela Moy, NTD News.
And before we go, here's some news that you might find useful. The days of filling out tons of paperwork and waiting hours to renew your passport could be over soon. The U.S. State Department says it plans to start taking passport renewal applications online. The move comes after a successful pilot program that was launched to help with the pandemic backlog, which had resulted in renewal wait times of up to 18 weeks. Though not everyone will be able to take advantage of the new online service, that includes people under 16 years old and those applying for a passport for the first time. The new online renewal system is expected to launch early next year. For more information, go online to travel.state.gov. And that's the latest from the NTD business team and myself, Don Ma. You can follow me on Twitter, too. If you have any news tips or feedback for the show, you can email us at business at ntd.com. That's all for today. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you on Monday.